Yeah. That, that, that's kind of ridiculous how, how, yeah, how much of a difference that makes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. All right. UBI. 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 All right, yeah. folks. We're here. We're here so, to talk about some UBI. We are here to talk about UBI. UBI and the income and quality. Jake, can you kick us off and tell us a little bit about what UBI is, buddy? You know, I absolutely can. Right after I finish this banana bread. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. So he got to go home with banana bread. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Jesus, you're spoiled. Oh, yeah. Oh, if you had come down, you could have had some banana bread, too. I suppose that's true. But instead, I, I got my extra monitor. So I will that's take true. it. That's true. That's <laughs> true. Some uh, would say I know how to game the system. Um. <laughs> some might say that. Some might say. Jake, might you say that? Mm, remains to be seen. <laughs> anyway. Um, yeah, so UBI is uh well let's start with what it stands for universal basic income right so it's this theory that um everyone should essentially have a certain amount of money that they're paid um just to meet their needs really um you know i mean there's there's tons of benefits tons of you know perceived detractors that that sort of stuff but uh that that is in essence the idea is that everybody receives a base amount of money, regardless of who they are or what they do. Right. We, th- those millionaires need an extra $1,400 a month coming in. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's probably the, the first um, thing that gets, you know, purported when people start talking about it is, well, do, why do the rich need more money? Right. And I mean, to the, the easy thing to say to that is, you know, if you have over a certain level of net worth, um, which you have to report every year on your taxes, um, then you can simply not qualify, right? Um, it's, it's a system that, that is designed to be worked with, not necessarily strictly upheld, you know? Yeah, I think that was kind of the biggest issues with calling it a universal basic income. Having it as an unconditional sense gives off that appeal that everybody mm-hmm. will be getting it. The thing with UBI just become kind of become a blanket term now mm. for this kind of system that's set up, but it not it's not necessarily going to mean that everybody is going to get it, like you said, right? I mean, if they don't Certainly. hit a certain standards, it's uh, yeah, it's gonna kind of cover that sense of it. Yeah, and I, I've been doing quite a bit of reading, and it, it seems a lot of people seem to think a sort of um, graduated UBI system would be best similar to, you know, graduated tax brackets and whatnot. But um, if you're in a career that pays you a lot of money, right, you get proportionally less UBI, um, which I, I think is very fair. It still promotes, um, you know, people wanting to strive for more and, and better themselves and maybe specialize further, um, which in essence should help, you know, overall the economy and, and whatnot. Um, but it still allows for, um, you know, people to be having their needs met at the base level, which I think is the, the key part of the program that all of the, you know, neoliberal socialists are, 
are really pushing for. So, right. Well, if you know, it kind of sounds great to be honest. So, I mean, what, what would be something that would be against it? I mean, why wouldn't we have something like this, Jake? So the first thing that comes to my mind is obviously people are going to want to know who's going to pay for it. How are we going to pay for it? Right. It sounds, Mm, it sounds utopian, but uh, you know, the real realistic part of it is that it was going to come out of our taxes. Like who's going to pay for everybody to have Mm. a basic income. Yeah. So that that's, I mean, to your credit, Ayesh, that is the primary negative that uh, that you'll see people talking about, right? And I mean, it, it's not an easy answer either. Um, you know, UBI would be expensive. Um, you think there's, I mean, we can use Canada as an example. There's, there's 32 million people in Canada, right? And if you're going to pay each person, say, I don't know, 10 grand a year, right? Like that's, what is that? I don't, I don't even, I can't even do the math on that right now off the top <laughs> of my head, you know? Um, that's uh, what, $320 billion? Yeah, right? I, think, I think most standard models right now are estimating somewhere around, what, $1,400 a month per person is what the general idea right now for UBI is, right? Sure, sure, right? So, so that's even larger than 10000 a year. Right. So um, the, the barrier to entry seems seems really high. Right. Until you start thinking about it in, in a different sort of sense. And that sense is what are we paying for currently that is inefficient? We could cut money to that and redirect it to UBI. Right. right. Some some things like things that are being put towards uh, mental health, unemployment systems like that shouldn't need to be as much in place anymore. If a system like UBI hospital visits will decrease when people have more money to take better care of themselves, things like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it's inarguable that a better standard of living leads to better health. Right. Longer life expectancy and thereby also a better population and i say better because you know it, it it does vary but you know the more healthy people are the less they want to procreate um which is sort of outside of the scope of this conversation maybe but is a good humanitarian argument considering overpopulation right now yeah no i, I can definitely see where you're coming from with that mm-hmm. no yeah, it makes a lot of sense. But yeah, kind of going off what you're talking about and we did a little more digging around with stuff today. And I we we talked about this the other day a little bit. We know back in 2018, they uh, had started a study. It was supposed to be a three-year study in Southern Ontario, actually focusing around where we're at right now in Hamilton, mm-hmm. right? Where they actually did implement UBI to a select group of people. I can't remember the exact number right now, but it was a mm-hmm. small portion of the population. And one of the biggest things that they found because of having the money coming in was most of these people had an increase in quality of life, health. Um, because of that, there are far less visits to hospitals. People weren't as inclined to be in uh, therapeutic programs and stuff. So there was less stress on our mental health resources in the country. So there mm-hmm. were a lot of sources that were, if you were paying these people this money per month, you would be able to draw that money from elsewhere because you weren't putting as much of a strain on the system, right? 
Yes, yeah, certainly. I think it, it would. You wouldn't be able to fund all of it from our current systems. Um, you would need a new stream of revenue for the government. However, you would be able to fund most of it. I I, I do believe that. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. Um, mm -hmm. Just trying to find what I had here earlier. Um, yeah, so I mean, if you weren't going to be taking it from somewhere like. Um, just specifically like we were talking about, I mean, you can't fund it entirely off of that system. Would, where would we be getting that kind of money from, right? Mm -hmm. So I guess that's the other side of things. What, what do you think as far as that goes, Jake, Ayush? Where, we, where would we be getting money like that from? Uh, well, I mean, there's a lot of places that money is uh, very poorly managed. Um, but there's also a lot of places where I think you know, things that are possibly outdated or, well, I think it takes a change of the way we think about things. I think, I mean, if we want to take money from something like the defense budget, which is, you know, outrageous, um, we need to think about the way we, we need to change the way we think about how the money makes an impact, right? Like, I don't know if we need to be so worried about other countries, you know, trying to destroy us so much as we do taking care of our own people. But that's not something that is an easy thing to overcome. Like you can't make sort of um, objective arguments about that. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Um, but I think, I think if, if we can, I, I think the money is there. I mean, realistically, there's tons of places we could take it from you. You mentioned a few there. I think uh, the defense defense budget could probably, you know, cut a little bit, maybe, the uh police budget but let's not get too political about it um <laughs> i'm just saying there's we have to think fundamentally fundamentally think about the change the way we think about money and how we use it to help people because i think another common argument you're going to get is if we start giving people money are they going to want to work right mm -hmm. there's tons of people already gaming the welfare the welfare system are is this going to just lead to another one of those problems so yeah, that that right there is an, another very popular argument against it, and you know it does have some credence. Sure, like people will take advantage of any system put in front of them. There, there will always be criminals. There will always be people who, you know, find their sort of niche in um, gaming the system, right? So the the th the issue I have with that argument is that. If the current system being inefficient or close to inoperable in some cases is an argument not to change, then nothing would ever be done, right? Because you're essentially saying that you shouldn't change a system because the current one's broken and the new one might be broken, right? If you can incrementally reduce how broken the system is by making a change, you should still make that change. In fact, you should be changing constantly in order to stay ahead of any sort of curve like that. It's a lot harder to game a constantly changing system than it is to game, game one that's been in place for a long time. It takes longer sure. to find loopholes if the, the system's changing all the time, right? And so, I think that that argument for me is, is, is pretty easy to refute.
Yeah, not to mention if we if we go back and we want to use some hard driven data again, we can reference that same McMaster study for the area we're in. And I believe when they started the study, they started it off with a little over two thirds of the participants being employed and one third was unemployed. Mm -hmm. And they actually did find that as they gave UBI, it gave more freedom for these people to either one, go back to school or two, seek employment without being as worried about what they were going to do to get in those positions. They weren't rushing to take jobs that they didn't want to take, leading them to either end up unemployed a week later or without work just because the work didn't exist anymore because of contracts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I think I, I can't remember the exact number, but most of those unemployed people went from their unemployed status to either pursuing schooling for the career they wanted or to be in a career if it didn't take weeks, months down the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, a, yeah, a lot of people are working just to get by, just to make you know a living. It's not that they don't want to find a better job. It's just that they literally cannot because they don't have the time. You take some of that, that pressure and give them some of their time back by adding a little bit of money to their monthly you know, paycheck or whatever. And all of a sudden, they have the time to make their jobs better, make their lives better and, and, you know, provide a better output into the world, i.e. more money the government can tax pretty much. Right. It's, it's amazing what a little bit of freedom can do for you with stuff like that. Yeah. So and, uh, sorry, sorry, sorry Jake, go, go ahead. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I was just going to change speed a bit here and, and talk okay, about. Wait. So hang on yeah. before you change speed then um, right. while we're still on the topic of like how to pay for, UBI, like how are we going to afford it? Um, Another thing that uh, was sort of, I guess, presented or or brought up was like, um, and this is actually by uh, Andrew Yang, Um, TJ, I'm sure you know about this. You've heard the uh, podcast episode too, but um, a value added tax. Um, Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's a different way of taxing entirely um it's it doesn't just work the same way the tiered sort of tax system there is now uh it makes it harder for companies and organizations to you know circumvent the tax system and and i mean we can get into it later if we want but i just feel like there are ways to get the money right there's there are way people are suggesting different ways to get the money so to just blatantly or just to say that we, we can't find the money is, is not a valid argument against. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, to that point, the whole, the whole tax system certainly needs a, a redo, right? The, the fact that you can um, reinvest money into your business and then simply offset your profits for that year, just it, it, it's broken, right? You're still profiting, but, but your money is suddenly not taxed simply because you didn't take it out of the business. You, you kept it in, right? And th- there are several reasons why that, that it's become that way. However, it's, it's woefully inefficient and easily gamed, right? Yeah. And speaking on the value added tax, it's definitely something that the United States and such needs to look at. I mean, Canada essentially does have value added tax right now. I mean, that's that's what we call GST and HST, which we now have as our modified tax here in Canada, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I hesitate to get too, too far down the tax rabbit hole because it is sort of a, a separate issue, but one that I, does, 
I, I do think has some relevance to the UBI conversation. Yeah, but uh, I mean, speaking on the how would you pay for it, there are quite a few different ways that we could even look at it. And speaking for Canada specifically, um, we could look at uh, increase in land value taxes. Uh, don't have to, uh, there's quite a few places like Singapore, Denmark, Taiwan, like they're doing that right now and it's helping them levy a lot of the things in their government that they're trying to pay for. Co corporation and economic taxes for you know higher making corporations like they always say you don't have to go after the dentist making two hundred thousand dollars in a small town they're looking to go after the multi-million dollar companies right that's well that's, that's yeah that's exactly the case like i i completely agree with you and i mean to talk on land transfer tax in particular um i don't know if either of you know this but did you know that the first time home, home buyers incentive in Canada can be redone every four years. If you no. don't, if you don't purchase a property for four years, you requalify as a first time home buyer. And thus you get a massive rebate on your land transfer tax. I had no idea that that's how that worked. That is, yeah. Yeah. I did not know that either. That's there's a, there's a time frame. And it, it's sort of, it, does, it doesn't make much sense because if you're promoting the idea that, you know, people want to be comfortable, they want to be able to buy their first home or, or whatever, like, is that four-year time frame just in case you get tired of the home you're living in? Or is the system still exactly broken and this first-time home buyer's tax is simply, you know, not really a first-time thing. It's just an anytime thing if you plan your buys correctly. Yeah, that definitely sounds more like it's situated to help those people who are looking to acquire property in mass. But that's mm -hmm. uh, that, that's really interesting. I had no idea that that's how that worked. Yeah, it it, it shocked me when I when I was learning about um, you know the whole home purchase process this year, and I, I honestly I was taken aback and sort of uh, rubbed the wrong way by it. You know. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. uh, I do believe that the. To take it in a really simple sense, there's been a couple of studies that have kind of gone into the fact that they, the way we could pay for UBI in a very realistic sense in a very quick way would be, and it, it, most people don't want it to begin with, would be to raise your GST by, I think it's three points. I think it's about three points increase on the GST would be enough to essentially pay for the UBI. That plus, I mean, if you're taking, like we said earlier, you're taking your your things like EI, uh, Unemployed, your mm -hmm. unemployment, any of your welfare systems like that, if they are all put together into one modified system that is our UBI that mm -hmm. would effectively pay for what we're looking at, right? Certainly. And, and that's, I think, one of the biggest oversights for most people making that argument of it's too expensive. Like, woe is me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, it's putting the money into the pockets of the people who don't have it. And those people are the ones who are effectively putting it back into the economy. It's not typically the people with that large scale income coming in who are putting that, those money back into the economy, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I'm glad we, uh, we talked a lot about, you know, this, this aspect of it. Where is the money coming from? And because and, that's going to be, you know, the number one question. And there was another one we talked about earlier that we kind of didn't really go into, but I kind of want to get into it because I'm interested in your sort of views on it. And I think we're all going to be a little bit different, but where, what do you think qualifies? What do you think qualifies somebody to be on universal basic income? Like what are you, what do you think should qualify you to be a part of the system? I'd, I'd love to take the first crack at this if you don't mind. Yeah, go um, for it, Jake. 
the what I think should be the case is until your combined salary plus UBI gets you in the $70,000 per year range of your gross income, you should qualify for UBI. And the reason for that is, you know, you, you hear the, this, this rather famous study now, but the, it's the happiness index, right? How much money does a person need to make before they are no longer worried about it? Right. Right. And it, it's the $70,000 per year is, yeah. is the, that's the number. Right. And I think until you hit that point, you, why, why shouldn't you get some kind of assistance? Yeah, because I think the biggest thing with UBI that like we're talking about is we want to target people's health and mental well-being. So I think that's a great point. All right. I mean, so, it, if it's going to keep people down, I mean, yeah, they should still qualify. So you said combined income. So like you mean a family, like a household of a family, like two people? No, two uh, I, I meant um, sort of if you made more than 70 a year, you would no longer get any UBI. Okay. So, so like, okay. So regardless of if you're together or if you're individual, if like you make 70, that's the cutoff. Yeah. And okay. I mean, I don't, I don't, like I said, I don't want to get too far into taxes, but the simple fact that being married gives you so many different tax breaks, mm. I find is a very broken system, especially for a society that is you know, sort of moving away from that. And I mean, you're punishing people for not holding to the, the, the covenants of uh, yeah. an archaic system. Right? Those traditional standards, the societal exactly. norms. Yeah. yeah. And not, not everybody wants to be, you know, legally married. You have the common law option in Canada, but some people don't even want that. They just want to live together. They want to have children together and they don't want to put that kind of, you know, religious sort of undertone on it. Um, but aside from that, yes, I do believe, you know, you should get the maximum assistance from UBI when, you know, you don't have an income. But as you do get an income, you sh it should proportionately decrease until you hit that $70,000 mark. Okay, interesting. That's, that's cool to see where you stand. What about you, TJ? You see, I think that's, I think that's a really interesting question. And I don't think there is a good answer to it, to be completely honest. Um, I think it's something that would have to be explored, uh, especially with using a term like universal basic income and then mm -hmm. setting a point in there where you cut people off from the funding. And uh, that, I mean, in a sense, that is not universal basic income then. At that point, it's no longer universal. You're now getting Fair back enough. into a welfare system style, unemployment mm -hmm. style setting where it's no longer for everybody. You're going to draw a line somewhere so certain people won't meet these standards. Mm -hmm. uh, it can also be a, a really interesting thing for people who, say, have uh, wealthy family members, but they live on their own for all sorts of different reasons, right? They could be separated, but not legally estranged from their parents or things like mm -hmm. that. Will they still be able to meet those standards, even though their parents are making millions of dollars and they're not seeing any of it, you know? Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, it's not a simple question by any means. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's something where you'd have to you'd have to definitely try the system out. But if you were going to have something that's universal, in my opinion, it is something you would be paying to everybody. I don't think you can draw that line in the sand. Mm -hmm. That's kind of the danger side of it. You know, so, I, I do agree with that point of view to, to some extent. Um, I, I, I think definitely a, a data driven approach would be the best way to, to yeah. move forward. 
No, for sure. I, I, I don't yeah. think I know my answer is not very satisfying, but yeah. that's definitely, <laughs> no, definitely as... where I stand on it. Yeah, no, you, you didn't. You didn't answer that. You sort of ran around the question. <laughs> gave a, I gave a politician's answer. Yeah, you were diplomatic <laughs> with it. No, I think uh, back to no. um, the thing that makes me reach that way is I think back to younger times in our lives. And I remember people applying for government assistance like OSAP for going to school, you know, having the uh, student loan programs and stuff. And I specifically knew somebody from we were younger. I'm not going to mention her name. I guess you might remember who I'm talking about here, but uh, she was separated from her parents. And even though that they made a certain amount of money legally through the government she could not get any government assistance to go to school and because of that she had a really hard time having a chance to go to university and such like that you know right so that's the biggest reason i draw on things like that there are very specific situations that some people get stuck in and when you put Mm -hmm. that defining line in the sand you do cut certain people off i i do hear you um i mean on the same vein though one of my very good friends from back home got you know triple the OSAP that I did because even though his father made a ton of money and was paying for his school he was legally residing with his mother who didn't make much and so it's sort of it's it's broken both ways yeah oh yeah no definitely I mean we we said it before we started talking about it, but there's definitely going to be people out there who are going to abuse it, right? Like no matter what system mm-hmm. we try and put up, there's going to be people who are going to abuse it. Um, yeah. At the end of the day, I think we you got to just deal, well, put down what uh, what sort of helps everybody and realize that people are going to exploit it and some people are going to be left behind, but you can't please everybody and just try and cover as many grounds as you can. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, there's no easy answer, not expecting either of you to come up with a solution to it i just wanted to get your perspective on it and see where you well, that's guys okay i'm, I'm here it, to yeah. solve the world's problems yeah it sounds like it. it sounds like you're a politician here to solve the world's problems oh man um yeah i mean i think that was uh that's a, a really good question i think each of us will have our own different lines to draw in the sand about that kind of stuff and Mm-hmm. And that's why it's it's such a tough thing to actually implement. If three mm-hmm. people who are on the side of universal basic income have a tough time deciding on where to draw these lines, it's uh it's gonna be hard to get it actually established. Oh, certainly. Yeah, it's it's really interesting now coming out of the pandemic like we have. We've now had mm-hmm. a taste of what universal basic income can feel like through the United States, they had their, as they're calling them now, their Biden bucks. <laughs> and uh, up here, we have our, our CERB, our, yeah, our Canadian yeah. Emergency Response Benefit. And uh, that really is a small taste of what UBI is going to feel like. And I don't know how people are going to feel essentially going back after they've had this taste of financial freedom. I mean, for the first yeah. time ever, you've had quite an increase in um, the amount that people, Canadians specifically, I know, that have been able to save this year especially ones from the lower income bracket for the first time in their life. So they're able to put money away. And because of that, they do have a little bit more freedom with things. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they can handle something like that. Right. And yet you still have the detractors out there, you know, yelling at the government for mishandling all of it and allowing fraud and whatnot. But I mean, if, if the reports are saying enough good things about it, you'd think that, people would slow down but it, it's just such a polarized society i suppose 
Yeah. And, you know, speaking kind of like what you were before, Jake, about, you know, the abuse of the system and stuff. Interestingly enough, you know, with Serb, the way it was rolled out here, I mean, uh, I had a friend who, I mean, is easily making well over into the hundred, two hundred thousands a year off of uh, the business he's running. Mm -hmm. And he he was and his wife both were both qualified for their their Serb checks every month. And, you know, they completely felt wrong taking it. You know, they both Mm -hmm. turned them down and just felt Mm -hmm. like it was completely irresponsible for them to even do that, you know. Yeah, and you're you're gonna have those those people that you know will stick to their morals like that, um, and you sort of you sort of just have to give people the benefit of the doubt that there's more of those kinds of people out there than there are detractors from the system. So, I don't know. It, it's uh, sort of a catch twenty two. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I I wanted to. Uh, talk about this I, i'd like to get your opinion your your guys's opinions on it the thing going around a lot recently is the automation of jobs right so you have driverless cars you have more robots in factories than ever you have software automation that will cut down on people needing to do stuff like data analysis um, fuck even sales is probably going to be automated at some point um, but in a, in a world where your job's in constant threat of, of you being replaced by a machine, where do you think UBI falls? Because personally, I see it as being the only way forward if you're going to mass retrain people to service these automatons or whatever that will be replacing them, you know, I don't think you can do that without paying your population to do so. What do you guys think? Um, so uh, this is something like AI that uh, about AI that I've been thinking about for a while now is, you know, there's this hysteria of AI and just robots in general taking taking away our jobs. And historically, it's been proven that when automation has or robots, quote unquote, has been introduced into the workforce that not only does quality of life improve, but so does the general, like, uh, not intelligent, but general, like, um, education of the mm-hmm. population, because it gives people time to train for something better, right? It gives them time to work on something better. So I think if with the introduction of AI and things becoming more autonomous, it's a perfect time to introduce UBI, right? Like, I mean, if ever there was a time to introduce UBI while while going through such a revolution in the informa- information and technology and, and all in those sectors that we are going through, mm-hmm. um, UBI is a really good time now to re-educate our workforce and we have the resources to do it. Um, so I think it's, it's kind of like goes hand in hand and it kind of came at the best possible time. Mm-hmm. Personally, yeah. yeah i think uh i think you guys are both 100 right with like what you're saying about that speaking towards automation and the workforce and ubi like if there was a time this definitely does seem like it mm-hmm. but uh i definitely stand still slightly at least this is probably one of the biggest things with me from moving from a view of not really believing too much in a ubi to mm-hmm. being quite a yeah to actually supporting it was uh, I definitely still stand on the, and it's kind of a popular opinion amongst a lot of people who are kind of on edge with UBI is, you know, we've always 
been able to survive. There's always been jobs. No matter what revolution we've faced, we've always had some form of work. And I don't think necessarily that automation, robots and jobs is going to be that thing that is going to stop humanity all of a sudden from having it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I do agree with that. Like, I, I and also, I mean, I'm, I'm, I know there are studies done about automation and the jobs, uh, the job market created or deleted uh, afterward. Um, and what, in general, most people are finding is that the automation, like, yes, there's a, a brief moment of time, the short term outcome is higher unemployment. However, long term outcome is less unemployment, right? And that's simply because you have to service the servicers now, right? Yeah. And, you know, you have the service industry for people, but you, there's also a service industry for maintenance, right? Yeah. And that industry takes off when you're looking um, at the introduction of this, like, autonomous society. So, I think that's a very important is looking at the long-term outcomes. We have to be willing to suffer short-term pain to make a change. It's just facts. It's just life. Yeah. We, we also do have quite a few jobs right now that are in really high demand that won't be able to be replaced by machines and automation, at least not yet. You know, there's mm -hmm. a lot of uh, health related fields, especially mental health related ones where we are in need of workers for stuff like that. So I don't think we necessarily are going to drive away all these jobs by having automation and robots taking over all these things. Certainly. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I know, I mean, we're coming close to the end of our first session here, but like one thing that um, is actually something that I'm curious about because I honestly don't, don't think I've done enough research or know enough about this, but um, inflation, right? Is this going to make it uh, faster? Is it going to make it more difficult? Is it going to make things in general cost more if we start giving everybody more money? Like inflation in the last few years, I'm sure you guys have noticed things have gotten out of control, like groceries, like how much we used to pay and how much we pay now. Um, so like, is that going to get out of control if we start giving everybody money, you know? I think, think that's going to kind of go back to what Jake was just talking about. We're in the short term, you're going to see a lot of that, but in the long term, you'll see it kind of even itself back out again. Yeah. So think, think about it this way. You know, if you give everybody in say a group of 10 people, a dollar to spend, right. They're all going to buy like $1 items. Okay. Now the business will know what, like how much money these people have because he was there, he, he gets that $1 every day as well, right? So they may respond in the short term by raising prices because people are more willing to pay. But what ends up happening is the rebalancing of the market, right? So if, if you set a new baseline um, for whatever it is, then essentially your, uh, the cost, the amount, the value changes, right, of that thing. And so, in effect, if you give an entire population a certain amount of money, eventually you will see inflation, or sorry, in the short term, you'll see the inflation, but in the long term, everything will reset 
because people will no longer have the tolerance. They'll have better financial knowledge. They'll know um, what to do with the money. And they won't be as willing to spend it frivolously once they're more comfortable with having it and they're used to using it. If, does that make sense? Well, exactly, because it's kind of like what I was just talking about earlier with CERB. It's exactly mm -hmm. what we just saw in this pandemic, what you just described. At the start of it, you saw a lot of frivolous spending with people with their checks. But like I was saying before, we are now in an unprecedented time where the lowest income bracket for the first time ever is actually saving money. Mm -hmm. It's This has never really been the case before, but because of CERB coming in, these people have money and they are effectively putting it away now. Mm -hmm. And and that's that's what's so cool about society today is is like, I mean, you used to look at these meme stock movements, right? You used to have to have like a minimum thousand dollars if you wanted to purchase stock because you had to pay enormous account fees to be able to hold them. And now you have platforms like Wealthsimple or, you know, uh, well, I guess we don't talk about Robinhood anymore. <laughs> um, but yeah, but shout have, out to Wealthsimple if you're looking for somebody to sponsor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, you have these platforms that make retail investing possible and it, it makes, you know, our lowest income bracket able to give them more power. That financial knowledge. Yeah. 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 More power. Uh, okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Uh, honestly, like, that this has been a great conversation i think we all i think we are trying to see the other side um i know we're all for ubi but uh there's a lot to be said about the other side as well and you can't ignore those uh when it comes to big policy or big decisions like this mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. I, and i think i think the key for me is moving forward and trying new ideas while still maintaining that argument from the other side, right? Um, I think like it's fine for people to have different values, but if, if a certain set of people is against change in general, I just, I, I think that's sort of an outdated mindset. Um, and like, like I said earlier, you just, you need to be able to make that change while considering the negative points. Yeah, yes. something that we've been using for this long has driven us to a point of such a wealth inequality throughout our country. It might just be time to try something new. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but that, that's the thing, right? When these things happen, it's because they were meant, made to happen. Um, mm -hmm. Like uh, systems aren't broken. They're made to create the result they create. Um, but anyway, I think as far as UBI goes, um, I'm pretty happy with, you know, the, the pros and cons or the stuff that we've discussed. Um, so I'm going to turn it over to you guys. If you have any more thoughts about it, I'll just say that one big thing, if there's any silver lining of this pandemic that we can take away from it in the end, it has effectively given us a federally, like a federal, like a whole yeah, countrywide scale to actually gauge to see if something like UBI could effectively work. And we are seeing that it is possible. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, the one point I'd like to touch on last um, is one I, I think is very, very important that um, might, I don't know, uh, might get some ire from you guys. Like, I, I don't know how you'd feel about this, but um, 
I believe that every citizen of a country having a bank account and being able to bank digitally is the only effective way to guarantee UBI could work. Hmm. Um, I never really put that much thought into that, to be honest. Uh, I do think, you know, it would make the entire system more efficient in, in that you don't have to worry about getting checks out to rural communities and rural areas, but our infrastructure is barely there in, in terms of internet in rural Canada. So I don't know if that's much better. That's a good point. That, that is very fair. Um, the one thing I'd say to that is the, the simple fact is not only do rural people have low access to um, banking digitally, not only because of their internet, but you know the proximity to banks, whatever, um, but every minority community has lower access to banks, um, homeless people, almost oh, yeah. no access, right? And so, you know, one of the things that people say is, well, how do you track down everybody? And I think, I think the, the simple answer is you just do, you just have to, and you, well, if you put that incentive out there, I don't think there is as much of a tracking down to be done. I think you'll, you'll have a lot more people coming forward. Yeah. And a lot more people able to prove their residents all of a sudden that maybe didn't want to necessarily before yeah i mean basic internet access i think would change the lives of so many people like imagine just like because just think about jobs even like applying to jobs is now all online like you don't go to a store you don't go to a company and give your resume to them unannounced like you got to Mm-hmm. apply through websites, through recruiters, all that stuff. And if you don't have access to that, and you could be a very qualified person, but mm-hmm. without access to any of that, you're just not even going to get a second look or even a first look rather. Oh, so, for sure. so like banking, yeah, you're right. I think that would be a huge benefit for UBI, um, for people in general. But yeah, I think that would greatly help the cause for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think. Um... You know, we, we already in this country pay people to have kids, um, you know, we, by, by giving them tax breaks as soon as they have a dependent, right? Yeah. So if you lower that a little bit to cover the cost of electronically registering and maybe even shipping out an electronic device to guarantee basic internet access, right? You take the cost right out of that little incentive there over the first five years or whatever. And there you go. There it's funded. You know, everybody's registered. Everybody's getting their money. Like, yeah. I feel like we could do your... a whole other episode strictly talking about basic internet access to everybody too. Yeah. I mean, honestly, increase your your basic Certainly. labor pool, right? Like, just yeah. imagine the amount of people that would apply for those, like even low labor jobs, if they just could do it at the chance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But a, a discussion for another day, I'm sure. Yeah, and <laughs> I think we should. Um, probably you know let people reach out to us and to give us their opinion on on mm. their pros and cons so you know tweet us at at whatever our twitter handle will be we can, <laughs> we can, we can put that stuff whatever tj is going to insert in here at the end yeah. here so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tweet us at that tweet 
yeah. Twitter, Twitter. And do, don't be afraid to share the detracting opinions. Yeah, you know, yeah. I think I think we're I'm, for it, but we yeah. are glad to hear the other side too. Hey, don't worry, yeah. TJ's still sitting on the edge too, so you, you won't be completely <laughs> left out there. <laughs> there you go. Ever the politician. <laughs> yeah. That was a successful combo, guys. Uh, yeah, great, great job. I'm gonna stop the recording now because I think we need a. We need to, otherwise we'll just keep talking. <laughs> oh, you say hey, if you want me to, I mean, I won't stop. I mean, any, yeah. any conversation with you guys, I feel like I always walk away a smarter man. You always teach me a lot. It's, it's yeah. been great. Um, 